Bonfire Trail by Joe West. When I woke up, it felt like the whole world was shaking. I was laying in a nest of twigs and branches, but they all started toppling over one another, pulled along by something I couldn't see. My eyes had barely opened, but my feet were scrambling the other way, trying to cling on to the undergrowth. This tunnel of branches felt huge, and I was being tossed around inside it, the twigs snapping and breaking, sounding like they were right in my ears. My eyes tried to focus on something, anything that wasn't moving. I made out a stream of light coming from within the twigs, and I clamped for it, my claws clutching and kneading the moving twigs underneath. I leap out and the cold night air enraptured me in darkness. The wind forces my eyes open a bit more now, and I can make out the grass, twigs, trees, the tree line. I scramble for the trees and behind me I could hear mighty logs and branches collapsing onto one another and two voices, I think they were voices, drifting in and out of the trees in a weird echo. I roll into the tree line and nestle myself in the nook of a tree. I can feel my heart beating double time, triple even and my toes dig firmly into the ground. My snout is on fire with every smell at once. Leaves, wood, grass, dirt, smoke. But everything stopped moving, and that's good. I blink the sleep out of my eyes, and with every moment, more of my surroundings come into view. There's a hefty mountain of branches and twigs in a pile, and two blokes are throwing more onto it, stamping with every few to keep it neat. They're dragging chunks of wood out of the tree line, like the one I woke up in, and tossing them into the pile. My ears haven't caught up yet, and their voices are still muffled and echoing, but I hear one of them say, what did he say? Bonfire. Scanning the rest of the scene and straining my eyes in the dark, I can make out a set of swings, benches, a slide, and a football cage. Didn't I take the kids in that cage? Yeah, that's where Sarah learned to ride a bike. I taught her to follow the lines on the tarmac to keep herself on a straight line. This is Brentwood Park. Of course it is. It's dark, and I can't see too much, but those guys are making up a bonfire. I watch the last rays of auburn sunset stretching across the playing field, reaching as far as they can over the houses, before the sun drags them away. A cool November breeze shudders across the grass and gently rattles the swings, but the two men don't notice. They're wrapped up tight in scarves and thick gloves, probably kept warm with all the hard work. If I had to put a time on it, I would say it was around 4 o'clock. Even though the clocks had changed and we were all ready for winter, even if we weren't and we just said we were, it would always feel weird when it got dark at this time. Like going to the pictures in the afternoon. Everyone would be getting home at this time. Sarah and Tess from school and Mary from work. And sometimes, to give her a bit of a break, I'd take the kids out walking for as long as we could stand the cold. The girls would splash in puddles in the dying sunlight and tell me about school and ask about Christmas. We would always finish by walking across Brentwood Park, and it would be around this time that Tess would start pushing a look and asking to play out longer, even just for a few minutes. It would be freezing and would have been playing for a good hour, and even though her cheeks were red and her wellies were soaked, she'd still want to stay out. And we always would. Those extra minutes meant the world to her, and even though we'd probably catch a cold or be a bit late for tea, the numb hands and raw cheeks were worth it every time. A firework blasts off somewhere far away, but from where I am it lights up the sky, 
the deep night air pops into life in explosions of yellow, and green and purple. It's a clear evening and the streams of light dance across the dark blue like a thousand boats across an endless sea. Even the smallest embers trickle and flow down over the houses, leaving no space unturned. To anyone else, this might have just been a few seconds, but I felt like I was watching it for hours. If I'm in Brentwood Park, that means home ain't far away. All the girls and, and Mary, they'll all be worrying about me. I've just woken up in a park and they won't have a clue where I am. The last time I saw them was... Well, I might look a bit differently now, but they'll know it's me. Of course they will. I crawl out back to the grass and follow the tree line to the corner of the park, where the little opening is. On bonfire night, you could hardly get into the park with how many people were trying to squeeze through this gap. Parents are holding the kids close and pointing and staring at the show in the sky. Willies swish and slosh over the muddy field, and the air is painted with steam from hot chocolate mugs. As Sarah got older, she might pretend not to like Halloween or Easter, but she never lost love for bonfire night. The last few years, some of her friends came with us, and the odd boyfriend or two. Tess, being younger, was infinitely fascinated by the whole affair. She would listen to my explanation for about five seconds, and then she'd dart off towards a sparkler stand. The first time I showed her a sparkler, Mary had a heart attack. The smell of toffee apples and burning cinders tickles your nose and guides you towards the roaring bonfire, rippling and burning like an open furnace. Every species has a natural aversion to fire, but on that night we gravitate gently towards standing far enough away to be safe, but close enough to feel the warmth. And the warmth isn't like anything from a, a radiator or something man-made, it's a thick warmth that wafts in your face and consumes you. I make the tiny opening and I can't quite see around the corner, so I risk it. Four endless legs come galloping towards me and my face is absorbed by a big curious nose it sniffs and inspects my face, and before moving down the rest of my body, it sounds so loud right down my ear. He gets a nasty surprise when he finds my spikes, and he jumps back, letting me see him for the first time. Just a friendly Alsatian that got away from his owner. Behind him the owner appears. I can't quite see their face in the dark, but I can see they're smiling at me. They shout after the dog, who ignores them and runs into the park, and I see them point happily at me as they pass. I keep close to the fringes of the pavement and my eyes try and take in everything at once. There's this little corner shop across the way where Tess and Sarah get drinks on hot days. And now two kids are sat outside it freezing their backsides off. They've got a doll next to them and they're asking for a penny for the guy. My neighbours pass them without notice, nipping in to grab bread and milk on the way home from work. The sunlight has faded away now, gone for another day and the street is illuminated and dotted with pools of orange from the streetlights. Everyone's buttoned up with their big coats and scarves, their breaths dancing in the air in front of them. The faint echoes of Halloween are still around us, and it's a bit too early for the C-word. November can be a bit unforgiving at times. It's cold and dark, and it takes forever to get used to. But the new year's fast approaching, and people are starting to talk about the holiday plans, and when they'll be finishing work. No one can deny that feeling of coming home for the day, getting wrapped up and cosy, and just relaxing. That's what November is to me. Getting settled on the couch with my girls, watching I'm a Celebrity, or Children in Need, or something on Netflix. They always bring out the best shows this time of year. And you open the back door at the end of the night to chuck the bottles out, 
you feel that cold snap of air and you're just glad that you're inside. You go on weekend walks and you build leaf piles and you help the kids with homework because the first set of exams are in November. Just thinking about it keeps me warm. I make my street and before I know it, I'm opposite my house. This journey feels like it's taken forever, but that's probably down to my tiny feet. I'm not sure what they'll make of the dad being a hedgehog, but there's only one way to find out. There's a dim glow coming from the front room window, and I can see Tess stood there on her phone. She's had a haircut, and she's done a lot of growing up. The last time I saw her, she'd only just started college. That would have been last November, around the hospital bed. She didn't want to talk about college, but I was asking her all about it just to take her mind off the situation. Tess was there as well, and she'd just got a part in the school play. They were doing a Christmas carol, and she was playing one of the ghosts. I forget which one. She wanted to know if I'd help her with the lines, and Mary told her we'd see, but I promised her I would. Laid there with an IV drip in my arm, I promised them all I'd be back for Christmas. Mary smiled, but it didn't reach her eyes. Mary smiled, but it didn't reach her eyes. She didn't believe me. Back when I was diagnosed, I promised her I wasn't going to let it get in the way of my life or stop me enjoying things. And right up until the end, I tried to keep that going. I kept telling everyone it was just a blip, a speed bump on the road to recovery. The girls were so brave and they should not have had to deal with that. I was so proud of them. I look both ways. The road is clear and I dart across it. I can see Tess as well, talking to her sister. She's in a high school uniform. She must have just started first year. I'm just so glad they're happy. I didn't want to bring them down as well. I can't imagine how happy they're going to be when they see me. But they won't know it's me. I'm not the same. I've been brought back, but I'm changed. I can't talk. I can't get anything across to them. But I can see them. One of the last things I remember thinking was how unfair it was that my time got cut short and that I wouldn't be able to see him grow up. But maybe, maybe it was just that I wasn't meant to in that life. If life was as cruel as I thought it was, I wouldn't have come back at all. But I have. I never wanted to leave them upset, but now I don't have to. I've been able to see them one last time. They're happy. I'm happy. And that's all I wanted. The front door opens and Tess steps out in a big coat with a script in hand. She's calling back inside as she's closing the door, but then she sees me. She freezes for a minute, and so do I. If I could have called to her then and there, I would have. She opens the door again and runs back inside, calling for Sarah and her mum. The three reappear. Tess has a pair of oven gloves on and Mary has a pile of tea towels. Tess has to stop herself from running and Mary warns her to be careful of his bikes. She gently scoops me up in the gloves and holds me close. He says to her mum, It's alright. He seems calm. They take me through the house and it's just as warm and cosy as I remember. I smell tea cooking, candles burning and the lemon washing up liquid in the sink as she takes me through the kitchen. Mary opens the back door and her heart melts as she looks at me. Sarah tells her to be careful again, but she doesn't need to. I know I'm in safe hands. Tess gently sets me down into the hedge, and I turn back to her. Behind her, Mary stood in the doorway, proud of her daughter for being so gentle. Tess tells me it's alright now, I'm safe. She says I can stay here if I want. They're happy. And I'm home.